0: Crosses a frog in a sock. The road trains have arrived, so chuck a sickie and crack a tinny, because everybody's got a fair shake of the sauce bottle.
1: (laughs) All right, I'm out. I can't deal with a whole season of this. There's no way. I'm gone. I'll see you,
2: buddy. There's only one Australian race. We're already cancelled in Australia. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Shift F1 Podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Australian for don't be upset the trucks have arrived so take a day off and open a beer because everyone's got a fair chance to win
1: well half mm-hmm. of that is true we are going ahead with a race but you know i guess we'll see i have to stop i have to find another term that's not when the rubber hits the road because i keep it's an accidental <laughs> uh, uh uh idiom one um well we will see after this weekend how close the pack truly is
0: Okay. Uh that is Danny O'Dwyer. I am Drew Scanlon also joining us. Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob?
2: Uh, ready to go racing. Oh, I'm
0: so ready. Um I I feel like time has slowed down. We're just it's there on the distance. It's not getting any closer. Uh but time does march on. We will eventually get to the Australian Grand Prix. Um I, I could not be more excited. If you are new to this podcast, welcome to uh this crazy circus. If you are new to Formula One itself, uh, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, just a few episodes old, uh, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and gives the lowdown on how the sport works and who everybody is. So, if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, that is episode 96. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience at patreoncom slash f one where every month we uh, release bonus podcasts uh, about uh, documentaries and films, uh, F1 video games primers for the racing series and a lot of weird stuff so if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes uh danny do you have a patreon update for us Yes, sir. I mean,
1: we've been talking about Patreon for the past couple of weeks, past couple of months, kind of figuring out what we're going to do this year, whether or not we're going to do the same as last year, or mix it up, add in some new flavor, Uh, and we're doing the latter. We're going to have an announcement out in the next couple of days, Uh, so check our Twitter and uh, YouTube channel for that as well. But uh, the sort of up and under on it is that the regular thing we've always done, which is having loads of bonus podcasts every year, uh, every month, uh, an extra podcast for uh, patrons only at $5. We're going to keep that, uh, but we're going to make a new tier and we're going to be adding a bunch of video stuff uh some kind of you know people who've been with us for a long time who remember us doing uh, stuff before with video on on this podcast will uh it'll be similar to that perhaps uh, and we're going to keep a lot of this stuff public on our youtube channel um uh, maybe we'll have some extra bonuses in terms of places where people can chat all <laughs> speaking not very vaguely um <laughs> But uh, there'll be announcements on this uh, pretty soon, and we're we're trying to hit that one thousand patron mark, um, because we did promise if we hit a thousand patrons, we'd uh we'd get together and go for a, a race on a real circuit in a real car, um. Well, I mean, we'll race real car. I'm not sure if we will be able to race all three of us at the same time, but that's <laughs> that's sort of the dream. We're at about eight hundred and twenty or so at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm so, gonna yeah. have
0: to start doing research on that because I don't actually know how to do that. <laughs> Never. Yeah,
1: all I know is I think they'll let me drive my Mustang on sonoma on certain times okay. uh, of the year so fingers crossed uh maybe you
0: can all jump in that one and just pay for a new pair of tires for me or something <laughs> yeah, there you go um all right well today we will be discussing the upcoming australian grand prix but first we've got uh, a fair bit of uh news that um we have not hit ferrari's engine seems to have uh caused quite a bit of a stir rob you've been reading up on this a little bit a vague stir
2: Well, now it's not just an engine issue, it's a F1 issue. It is an issue with the relationship Ferraris generally had with the sports governing bodies and the way other teams tend to view that relationship. So I think last time we had discussed where things had left off, which was that the FIA and Ferrari came out with a kind of weird statement which was that the matter was closed. They had reached confident, a confidential settlement. And as part of that, Ferrari was going to help the F1 figure out how to monitor uh, fuel, fuel mix in engines. And uh, which was kind of weird. It like I think we talked about it seemed like something very close to an admission that Ferrari had done something illicit, if not necessarily illegal, that, f1 wasn't happy with and as part of the deal ferrari was going to help them close the loopholes as, as well as deal with some like offer some other terms uh, so in the past week uh a number of other teams i think it was seven f1 teams uh signed a statement of protest about the confidential uh over the confidential deal and the issue is Seems to be that the, the teams are pretty much reached the conclusion we did, which is that they're convinced something happened with uh, how Ferrari handled fuel flow last year. And the reason they're so convinced is because they pushed like it is other teams complaining that pushed the FIA to investigate what was going on with the fuel flow in the Ferrari power unit. And this all happened last year when Ferrari had that unbelievable straight line speed and they seemed to have an incredible amount of pace. and That engine just seemed to be unbeatable. And then the complaints came in and then the Ferrari engine began to look less dominant. And it was the teams themselves that started pushing for this investigation. And so I think coming even coming out of last season, the teams were pretty well certain that there was something... Uh, sort of against the rules or against the spirit of the rules that Ferrari had done uh, with fuel flow shenanigans. Yeah. And it seems like their reaction to this deal struck between uh, the FIA and Ferrari was kind of not necessarily the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, but it was a it was one of those things that this has been a, such a long-standing sore point for a lot of other teams in F1 that immediately they went from zero to 60, right? They were, they were immediately pissed. Uh, basically, McLaren, Mercedes, Racing Point, Red Bull, Renault, Alfa Torre, and Williams, uh, what do they have in common? They don't run Ferrari engines. Uh, <laughs> they said, we, the undersigned teams, were surprised and shocked by the FIA statement of Friday, 28 February. Regarding the conclusion of its investigation into the Scuderia Ferrari Formula One power unit, an international sporting regulator has the responsibility to act with the highest standards of governance, integrity, and transparency. After months of investigation that were undertaken by the FIA, only following queries raised by other teams, we strongly object to the FIA reaching a confidential settlement agreement with Ferrari to conclude this matter. Uh, Therefore, we hereby state publicly our shared commitment to pursue full and proper disclosure on this matter. To ensure that our sports treats all competitors fairly and equally, uh, we do so on behalf of the fans, the participants, and the stakeholders. F one, that last part, like come on, like come on, you're like you're doing it for the fans. Fans are used to this shit. Don't worry about Not it. Not for
1: the tifosi, anyway.
2: Yeah, now that that part is just that's very like a moralizing high dudgeon, uh, right? This is F one politics, and I think what this comes down to is that. A lot of Formula One governance has involved reaching what you call like gentlemen's agreements, uh, you know, behind the scenes. That was certainly the Bernie Ecclestone uh, model that is kind of for a shockingly long time. That is how business was conducted in Formula One. Uh, But nobody has the moral authority and the control that Bernie had. Nor are a lot of the people that Bernie did business with, a lot of the Wheeler dealers, a lot of them are gone now too. And I think the entire thing is a bit more on like, is at least tried to be on a more uh, professionalized uh, footing. And so I think that's kind of a sign of the times.
1: It's funny, I'm kind of a little bit surprised about how vague, uh, you know, everything has been, considering like this sort of, you know, Ross Braun has been quite um, open about you know, the problems with the sport and the way they went about fixing them and like even when we were getting down to the the, you know, conversations around how the money was getting split up, like, stuff was pretty transparent in a way that we weren't really used to and a lot of this just seems like we don't really know it, it You get the feeling when you read the, the story, when you read the letter that they wrote and also the FIA's response that, like, everyone knows what they're talking about, but nobody's saying it?
2: Yes. Yeah,
0: I mean, the FIA even said um, in their statement as a response to the teams writing this letter, um, this is their own statement. The FIA was not fully satisfied, but decided that further action would not necessarily result in a conclusive case due to the complexity of the matter. And the material impossibility to provide the unequivocal evidence of a breach. So hmm. they themselves are like, we know something was going on, but we couldn't prove it. So that, I guess, is why they settled confidentially. I don't know. It, like, it, Does a non-confidential settlement mean that Ferrari would have had to expose some proprietary technical stuff? Is that or why? Or maybe,
1: or if even if they say it, like if they if they put a name to it, then it becomes material. Like if they if they mm. say what it was, then suddenly everyone will say, "Oh, that's what Ferrari were doing." And then maybe there might be recourse for you know a lower team to argue that they should have gotten second or something like that. I, like that's the only thing I can think is that that it's messy and by by talking about it or saying what they think was going on or what they, ima- they they're pretty sure was going on. It's as bad as saying that's what happened in many ways, legally.
2: Yeah. Like even the, if they can't prove it. The theory that uh Dieter Rankin over at racefans.net uh proposed via a or that a source prop- proposed to Rankin uh was that Ferrari was running oil-based intercooler fluids, uh, and those seep into the fuel mixture under pressure uh and basically give you a little boost to engine power. Um so I guess that like that is the theory as to what the not necessarily the technology but what the loophole was that ferrari was exploiting uh but it, it does sort of seem like the teams that dimed out ferrari basically know what happened uh everyone's pretty clear about like what was transgressed and everyone's upset that nothing was really done about it especially because i think this is this is the other this is another part of this if you go back through the history of the sport over the last like 15, 20 years, the FIA can be incredibly draconian uh, mm-hmm. with yeah. other teams that are Ferrari, right? Like you don't have to go that far back. Uh, what was it? A $100 million uh, or 100 million uh, euro fine against uh, McLaren for a transfer of technical knowledge that a lot of people feel was pretty innocuous. Um, and it was largely Ferrari making a big deal out of it that got McLaren, you know, they basically got the electric the F1 equivalent of the electric chair uh, that year. And so that's that's the other thing is like there's always this double standard with Ferrari, right? With Ferrari, yeah. it's still old school F1. Ferrari is F1, F1 is Ferrari. Whatever we whatever we do, uh, we mustn't upset the Marinello operation. Uh, everyone else you better keep your nose clean you better play by the rules ferrari you know they have a direct phone line to god and i think this was (laughs) the like this is just another case of that sort of being codified and teams are sick of it um and i don't i don't know what the fia was supposed to do here uh short of you know, you give Ferrari a massive penalty, uh, you, you open it up and let everyone see what's going on. Um, which doesn't seem unreasonable, but this is a thing that only engineers really would have understood. I don't know how it would have played out if, uh, if they had done that and Ferrari had appealed the decision.
0: Mm. There's a sort of a uh, related issue, not well, unrelated issue, but the same sort of thing happening in the run up to, uh, to Australia here, Red Bull has, and this is how this this is how this works, right? It's not like I mean the FIA does have inspections, but typically what happens is one team will notice something about another team, and then not say that, "Hey FIA, Mercedes is doing something wrong." They'll say, "Hey FIA, what's uh what's actually the rule here?" Yep. Like in this weird can, sort can of can we do that? Right? Yeah. So uh, Toby Gruner, a uh, a reporter at Automoto und Sport. Oh, uh, in Germany, says that uh, Red Bull has questioned the legality of Mercedes rear brake ducts. Uh, the FIA reacted by sending out a new technical directive, TD 014 slash 20, to clarify what is allowed. This forces Mercedes to make modifications to avoid trouble at Melbourne.
1: But they can keep their weird airplane driving wheel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay.
2: Well, that's because they talked to the FIA directly, and boy, wouldn't it be embarrassing for the FIA to go back on that now? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this is—it's all part of the rich pageantry. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking it's of, it's gonna things, be
1: wild next year. If we think this is what it's like this year, just think about what's gonna happen when the new Rex come in. It's gonna be we're gonna the fan fan car is gonna turn up again.
0: Didn't Ross Braun say that he that, like he brought in some like game testers basically to try oh, wow. to subvert the new 2021 rules that's amazing and then close loopholes that way that's yeah, great it's,
1: that's like it's like employing hackers to to right. find holes in your system that's or right Vinnie
0: caravella <laughs> um all right speaking of stuff uh before races bahrain um will happen in light of the coronavirus with a twist uh the bahrain circuit um will not allow any spectators into the stands for the track, so we will have much like a lot of other sporting events going on around the globe, uh, yeah. a, a race with no
2: audience. Which oh hell yeah, then we can bring Korea back. <laughs> uh, I
1: think I mean, this is China be weird. was. That... <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry, yeah. I, was,
2: I was making reference to the fact that Korea was like wildly underattended. Uh, totally, the no, I'm. There.
1: Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm I'm making the same point about China, which like always had that. Doesn't that hold like two hundred thousand people and like fifteen thousand turn up or something?
2: I mean, there are all those grandstands that are sort of covered in tarps and yeah. with logos put on them, which always yeah, like, seems it's, damning.
1: It's like the Oakland Coliseum with that like top thing that just has a big Raiders flag on it during A's games,
0: or uh, I think it's it's the uh, where the uh, where the Saints play. The seats are all different colors, so you can't tell. Oh, yeah. that's great! That's really <laughs> good. I like that. Yeah, it's um,
1: crazy. At the moment Italy same thing like all the Serie A games, uh, the Six Nations has cancelled a bunch of games, but yeah, it's the, the playing in empty stadiums thing is something you get used to in Italian football because usually they they've done it where they've banned entire fans for seasons from going uh-oh. to games. Yeah. Um so that kind of happens, oh, wow. but uh, okay. yeah, it's the, the I mean there's a there's a history of uh, some some pretty bad uh, ultra ultra fans in in Serie A with specific teams. Um but yeah, this is this is going to be interesting um no this was a fairly well attended race so
0: yeah and they did issue refunds but that's a lot of like plane tickets you can't get back and hotels and stuff um ross braun also did say like you mentioned danny that italy is kind of locked down now right um i don't have any Work,
1: work is okay though i believe
0: yeah, My, my, my understanding
1: I, is work between cities and in and out of the country is basically being restricted to uh, work trips or uh, like serious family trips or something like that. Okay. Um, they're basically like checking your papers. Uh, if, but basically tourism traffic is, is uh, a non-essential travel has been uh, entirely uh, locked down
0: right and i think every other like every country will have its own sort of uh rules on this stuff mm. and i i think the way it is kind of going now and hope i think f1 hopes that it continues to go this way is that f1 personnel get sort of some like advance, they let you know the government know that they're coming to this place and uh, all that stuff and they can work it out and not have to like go into a mandatory automatic two-week quarantine Um, but still it's all kind of still up in the air. Uh, Ross Braun, uh, of formula one, um, says, obviously if a team makes its own choice not to go to a race, that's their decision. But where a team is prevented from going to a race because of a decision of the country, then it's difficult to have a fair competition. Uh, then this article from motorsport goes on to say one possible scenario, however, could be for the race to go ahead. But in that case, but for it to be a non-world championship event so no points would be scored. I, like, uh,
1: I think they should lean into it. I think they should absolutely do that that happens and reverse the grid. Like, make it, yeah, make it a weird. fun race. Make it a weird, fun race. Like, I, I, I think that will be... The idea of them going ahead with the races without audiences, I hadn't really considered that as a solution, but I guess it does kind of work considering the vast majority of people will obviously be watching
0: Um, so much has been in, invested in this already right I, I can see formula one being like all right well we can't have fans but like we can't just not do this like there's tv rights locked up they, they already hmm. shipped everything over there um yeah i'm also uh, like how many
2: organizers can afford to do this like that's that's the other thing yeah. right how many organizers yeah. can just be like you know what we'll run it without uh, any attendees and uh, will... We'll they must be getting a kickback, though.
1: Surely. Like, they couldn't... The, the FAA must be paying... Or, sorry, a uh, Formula One must be paying paying them something to, to still run it. Because, like, surely the gate receipts is, is like...
2: Yeah, I mean, what, there's what, there's the, probably more to it than that, but hmm. I don't know how, like, I, I'm just curious what the financial picture is like, uh, organizer by organizer, especially because, as I understand, there's not really a one-size-fits-all uh, like right. venue contract, right? Like, yeah. there are places F1 has sort of beaten down the door to get into, and there are places that, like, you know, the annual hostage-taking of the German Grand Prix, uh, which yeah. finally culminated in it being cancelled. Uh, this is like, the nature of F1 is that It seems like people are getting different deals for hosting an F1 race uh, or people or people are just uh, having different reactions as new terms come into effect. But uh, this is a part of the sport I haven't paid a great deal of attention to, Uh, but it does seem like there's a lot of venue operators who can barely afford to get these things off the ground, much less, uh, you know, run it to an empty uh, venue.
1: Totally, and if you're gonna pick one venue that was gonna be able to pay for this thing and had like you know uh, deep pockets to be able to do it, you'd you'd pick Bahrain. You'd maybe go for Abu Dhabi next, but like they'll be fine. It's when we get into the European races, whether or not, um, and you know places like Baku where you really start to ask the question, you know, who's who's paying for it?
0: Well, uh, Australia is full steam ahead, but this news article just published on Motorsport.com. A restaurant next to the Albert Park track is at the center of a coronavirus scare. You're kidding. You're after kidding. After a 70-year-old Australian man who has since been diagnosed with COVID-19 attended a function there on Saturday. Cool. I mean... <laughs> you old social <laughs>
2: like, butterfly bastard.
1: I know. Why couldn't you have stayed at home? You've had 70 years of partying. Um... Yeah, it's just... It's so hard to talk about this thing and to try... Like, I put up a poll on my Twitter to see, like, what people thought. How many races will we end up having by the end of the year? Um, And it was a pretty even split between, like, you know... I, I broke it up into, like, 5 to 10, 10 to 15, you know, to, in quarters. It's it's so hard sitting at this end of the story. We're either in the first chapters of a horrific, you know, global event that will define the next decade. Or maybe we're past the curve for a lot of countries and and hopefully it'll slowly slowly get better but it's just like in one way it seems silly to be talking about it in these terms because you know who knows in a year's time we might (laughs) look back and go wow what a what a strange you know uh, uh, way to, to, to chat around this like very you know dangerous thing that happened or in many ways maybe everything will just be grand and they'll run all the races empty where they have to it's just so strange everything about this just feels like I wish I knew where it was going, but yeah. I have no idea.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of oil-rich nations,
2: <laughs> Rob, what's yeah. this next news story here? Oh, uh, are we
1: getting rid of gas? Is that, are, are we finally going green? Yeah, Rob, going tell green. Me.
2: Yeah, uh, as part of F1's uh, carbon-neutral uh, initiative and uh, support for green energy, they signed a deal with Saudi Aramco uh, <laughs> so they signed a long term sponsorship, uh, with like the biggest oil company in the world. Um, so that's an odd look. Um, Saudi Aramco is, uh, regarded as like one of the biggest, uh, carbon emitters in, in the world. Now, admittedly, again, a lot of this is because when you're talking about oil companies, a lot of the terrible numbers around them are people folding in downstream use. Like, Saudi Aramco produces the oil, sells it to people who then do a whole bunch of shit with it, and Saudi Aramco is the one who, like, Ultimately, those emissions are charged back too. Nevertheless, they, yeah,
1: they just pick the tobacco. They're not—they're not telling you to smoke it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's—I—I <laughs> I, I think it does get a little too reductive to say that it's like just fossil fuel companies, because part of it is also like there is demand. Nobody yeah. is really like people are fulfilling the demand and not really giving a damn about. Uh, where the ener- where the energy is sourced what the, what the source is so i think there there's that element of it but nevertheless oil companies uh sort of have notoriously been at the forefront of climate change denial uh you know trying to undercut cleaner energy solutions and the notion that f1 literally a year after making a pretty like making a big deal out of the fact that they're trying to go green uh, to sign a long-term sponsorship deal with Saudi Aramco kind of highlights how ridiculous the entire initiative is, right? And sort of ho- how hollow it is.
1: Hopefully they didn't get paid in stocks because uh, it's been a rough week for crude.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other part of this, right? What a what perfect timing to sign this deal with Saudi Aramco just as it looks like the bottom might be falling out of the oil industry a little bit. Um, And that's probably going to rebound, but uh, it's, it's
1: either that or it's economic terrorism against Russia to try and bottom out the market. Like it's kind of, you know, the, the jury's out on what's like, what exactly is going on right now.
0: What's going on um, Danny with video games?
1: Oh, video games. God, I thought you'd never ask. I never get to talk about video games, Drew. Well, none of us do, really. (laughs) Um, In a rather, I don't know, surprising development, I'm excited and surprised by this. Uh, F1 has appointed uh, Frontier, who are a uh, studio out of the UK who make the Elite uh, video game series. Elite Dangerous, rather. Um, uh, The founder of the studio, uh, uh, David Braben, is is famously the creator of Elite. Uh, They also made a really good Jurassic Park Evolution, I believe it's called. It's the um, the Jurassic Park management game. Yeah, do, where you,
0: some of those like uh, not real time strategy, but like management sim style, like Zoo Tycoon. Was yeah, them Zoo too? Tycoon,
1: Roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, I don't
0: think that they, was. They did a, was
1: it, a Planet Coaster. Which one did planet, they do? Yeah. They, is that yeah? Um, yeah, they make a lot of these games that are you know either space <laughs> flight simulators or management games. But they have been brought on by F one to create a new series of official. Management sims; uh, these are separate to the uh, Codemasters Formula One games. Um, I got a quote here from RaceFans.net. Uh, Frontier, run by late creator David Brabham, has signed a multi-year exclusive license to publish four F1 management games across a range of formats, including consoles and PC, beginning in 2022. The games will be based on its Cobra engine used in the 2014 edition of the series Elite Dangerous. Uh, F1 is one of the most popular global sporting franchises in the world, says Braben, and we believe uh, the combination of... The F- sorry, I think it's Braben, actually. I'm saying Braben because of F1. My two brains have molded <laughs> together. Um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, and we believe the combination of the F1 brand together with our extensive experience in management games will deliver fantastic game experiences to a wide and varied audience around the world. Um, it's interesting because F1 management games have been around. You know, there's there's the mobile game. Um, there's a version on Steam as well. Um, in the in the past, there have been splits between the EA racing games and other official and in further back, unofficial management games uh, as well. So th- there's always been this sort of um, split between the two. It just feels a little bit throwbacky because so many modern sports games have sort of reabsorbed the management part of their uh games back into them so you tend not to guess there used to be a time like certainly in the late 90s early 2000s where there was a lot of management games around sports mm-hmm. um you, you with soccer football manager uh, huge, uh, fo- isn't it? football manager is probably the the one that still kind of exists um but there used to be way more like football manager sure. has its history in uh there was a, a, in the same way that Pro Evolution and FIFA used to have a battle, there was multiple, there was three or four different management, soccer management games being released at the UK at, at one stage. A championship Matter, LMA Manager, there was loads of these. So it used to be a way bigger thing. Um, so it's interesting. I think I, I could see it working well. Um, I think there's a lot of management stuff that if you put it in the F1 game, it, it it's a different muscle, right? It doesn't feel as, it's not the same thing. It's like, it's like, you know, playing a game of football, playing a game of tennis, and watching tennis—they're the same thing. But the actual participation or the way you're doing it is is totally different. So I'm excited, and it's a good developer for people who don't follow games. Frontier know what they're doing. They have a pretty good yeah. track record. They have a pretty good track record working with other people's intellectual properties as well.
2: But they have a track record of not making management games in the style of a true sports manager, right? Like, I mean, I think there's there's a big difference between uh, Frontier make like diorama games is yeah, kind nice, of the way to yeah. put it. Or like, you know, little, little like uh, sandbox managers where, where part of, they can be very, very nitty gritty. Uh, there can be a lot of detail, but really what you're there for is to watch the world move and react to the changes. You know, like Jurassic Park, okay, like finally I got the T-Rex. Bam, there's a fucking T-Rex. Now to, now to wait for something untoward to happen around that T-Rex, um, which I guess <laughs> is the equivalent of like signing Alonzo, uh, perhaps, in an F1 management <laughs> game. Um, but, I think, you know, when you bring up like the esteemed management series uh, that are are out there that have been there in the past, not so much around motorsports, but like one of the reasons people get obsessed with like out of the park baseball or with football manager is because these are games built with a really detailed and statistically supported model of the sport in question. Right. Like, uh, you know, football Manager sort of notoriously is used as sort of a, a crib for a scouting <laughs> staff. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, similar things with with out of the park uh, where you, these games sort of have the claim to simulating the sport in a way that the their more arcade counterparts don't even come close. Right. Like MLB, the show isn't nearly as convincing and comprehensive a sim of uh baseball and the business of baseball and the structure of their contracts uh, as out of the park is what I find interesting here is that what na- what is the nature of the management we'd be doing right like I think it's smart for F1 to split off uh, the sim from the management ideas I think it sucks that so many good management franchises were killed because of exclusivity that mm. didn't make a carve out Management sims, uh, but when I think about what would Frontier's version of lo- this look like, we don't really have convincing models for how F one works as a sport, right? What we know yeah. is, do you have a lot of money, and are you one of these three teams, and can right. just throw yeah. uh, throw resources at it? uh So my my guess would be. This might look a little bit like a really fancy, like really fancy version of those uh, Kairosoft games. Uh, remember Grand Prix Story? Uh, little things oh, yeah, like yeah. that for your I phone. yeah, I love that. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. I, I uh, suspect we will be getting a glossy version of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't I think of, it... Sorry, go on.
0: I, I see this going one of three ways. Either it is the spreadsheet style of Football Manager, uh, or the... Um, The top down, uh, like big strategic decision of a team principal, say, or a strategist that motorsport manager does. Hmm. Uh, Or it's just F1 tycoon and you're building like a circuit and there are tracks and people are coming to your Grand Prix.
1: If I was to hedge my bets, I don't think it's going to be a spreadsheet game cuz that's not what they make. They're not sports interactive. Like they've never right. yeah. they they have made games like Connectimals. You know what I mean? Like they've mm-hmm. they've they they're not afraid to lean towards that mainstream person. Like they make games that are more accessible <gasps> in the in the way of th- stuff like The Sims, F1 Piñata. <laughs> well, hopefully not cuz that that is literally the Viva Piñata is like one of the hardest management games ever made and it was aimed at children so I think like and I love v- Viva Pinata but that is a nightmare of a game design um, <laughs> for the audience it was supposed to be made for I think I think Frontier are pretty sharp when it comes to making stuff that's like um, like they've I'm just looking at their games here they've made uh, Planet Coaster Scream Ride and Thrillville those are like three different like difficulty and of course and Roller Coaster Tycoon they've th- those are like diff- different stratas of difficulty um, and I think they've fine tuned it over the past couple of years in making games like uh, Planet Zoo and Zoo Tycoon, which I think are fantastic. So for me, I think it'll probably be it'll have to have that aesthetic that they've gone for, that isometric play. I wonder if you'll be running a factory a lot of the time Ooh. and then going to a race in some sort of way. But the focus is on the factory and research and getting the right drivers and training them and it's more about that part of it and then the circus is kind of something you go to um which i guess isn't so far from the what are the mobile ones called again
2: motorsport manager what, oh the kairosoft games Ky- yeah. no the kairosoft one whatever Yeah, uh, uh, grand prix story was the one yeah they made, grand prix
1: yeah. story they also made game dev story did yep. they that one yeah those are those are fun games so I don't know. But I guess time will tell. But I think it's cool. I, I can't think of another studio I prefer. I don't want the the sports interactive version of this. You know, the football
2: manager folks. I've, I've oh, played I that game before. Oh, I want the hubris before. of someone trying to do that. Like, I oh, know. It would be a bad you game. You want NFL head Ranted. coach. <laughs> I just... I, I would love somebody to look at F1 and be like, you know what? I can model all of that. And just, like, have at it. And, like, the he game... You
1: factor, but, like... Yeah. For Christian Horner.
2: Yeah, and, like, you just... horn like, factor. You know, the game breaks down because, like, you can... No matter, like, what difficulty level, you can always turn Williams into a championship-winning team inside <laughs> of three years. Because, like, the system can be mastered.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of mastering the system, Danny, you want to take us to this system? Sure. We're going to the... Uh, um What system is
1: Earth in? The solar system? Soul. The... Soul system, I guess. Um, uh, we're going to a little place, a little coronavirus-riddled planet, a tiny little island in the south called Australia. Uh, we've been at the Australian Grand Prix for uh, a pretty long period of time. I think it's the second oldest or one of the oldest circuits. 1928 was the first race. Um, and it's, it's bounced around a lot. It's it's probably most famous for the older crowd for the 11-year stretch. It was on Adelaide. And what's interesting about that is that uh, historically, um, the Australian Grand Prix was actually the final race of the season. I think all but one of the years. I think they moved Adelaide one year because of... Uh, what's that What's that weird? Olympics, but only for ex-colonial Commonwealth oh, Games, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Commonwealth. yeah, I think that they the commonwealth <laughs> games uh we were never invited because we managed to get independent um but uh we yeah the i think one year was moved for that but it was it was always the final race and then when it went to Albert park they decided to put it at the start of the calendar um uh sort of 5 months later um, than it was originally. Uh, it's been at Albert Park since 1996, and it's in contract until 2025. Um, so we're going to be here for a little, little bit longer. Uh, it's a fun track. It's it's a uh, street circuit and a uh, race circuit. There's a lot of the track is actually drivable most of the year. You can take a road car on it. Doesn't need to be specially kitted out or anything. You can drive it clockwise or anti-clockwise. The only uh, I guess problem is I think it's got a speed limit of like 25 miles an hour on most of it or something. (laughs) It is in a park. It is in a park. It's in a park just uh, in the center of the city uh, by the river Um, and it has... I guess the start-finish rate, I think, is the only part of the circuit that's not actually drivable for the rest of the year. Uh, it's got a capacity of 80,000 people, and it generally fills it out for the whole weekend. Uh, 5.3 kilometers, that's 3.9 miles. Uh, 16 turns clockwise, three DRS zones. They added a third one, I think it was four years ago now. Um, uh, there's a double DRS on the either side of the second and third corner, um, and then there's one in the back stretch as well before you sort of dive into the slow little arena um, before the pit lane. Uh, and it's a fun track; drivers seem to seem to really like it. What's interesting about it is perhaps um, that Lewis Hamilton hasn't traditionally done particularly well here. Uh, the last time he won was in 2015. He actually uh, almost won in 20. 14 that was the year that his car broke down and you may remember the incident where he had to walk back to the pits in his full kit and the security guard wouldn't allow him into the paddock because he didn't have a pass (laughs) (laughs) so there's a great clip where he flips up his visor and says i'm a driver and like literally as this is happening he has like tv cameras pointed at
0: him, like as if the helmet wasn't yeah, it, yeah, it he's literally wearing enough.
1: his gloves, his boots, his full race kit, um, and it's during the race. And the guy was like, "Yep, and he, yeah." So he ended up letting him in eventually. Um, wow. Since uh, yeah, so he won it the next year, 2015. Nico Rosberg won it 2016. Uh, then Vettel got a brace, 2017, 2018, winning it. And of course, last year, Valtteri Bottas started off his his uh, his positive start to the season um, last year. I by, mean, those last three winning.
0: years, it, it all just we all got uh, bait and switched.
1: Totally, yeah. It's uh, I don't know this what. Is happens, year.
0: Oh, this is Vettel's year. Oh, this is Vettel's B- year. Oh. this is Bottas' year.
1: So yeah, exactly. If so, if Hamilton doesn't win this week, don't think it as some sort of uh, a sign of things but to come. But if he it, does, but if he does, well, maybe maybe we should be worried then for all the other reasons. Uh, some other historical things on this track uh, turn. Uh, three down the bottom of the Whitford Strait is where uh, Martin Brundle had his famous crash before he uh, ran back to the pits and got in a second car that was almost identical to the crash Fernando Alonso had, I believe it will be three years ago now. Uh, there's some great slow motion footage of that one. This is the crash where he got out of the car as quickly as possible so his mother, who was watching on television, wouldn't be too worried. Um There was a catastrophic uh, Ralph Schumacher crash in 2002, which people probably remember uh, seeing his car flipping backwards. Um, I think he ran to the back of Barrichello, I want to say who it was. Uh, Eight cars retired that year at the start of the race. Um, And the other thing that that 2002 race is famous for is it was Mark Webber's first drive, uh, Australian driver. And he managed to get through that crash And retained position pretty well. That he ended up, uh, I believe, he was in a Minardi, and he came fifth. So it ended up; it was a fairly impressive drive. I think he had a three-race deal with them, and then that sort of cemented his place in F1. And he managed to get a a proper drive there. There's a a video or photographs of him going up to the podium with his Australian flag uh, once the actual podium ceremony had finished. which was quite great. A, a, a sort of a mirror to that one is what happened to Daniel Ricciardo then in his first uh, Australian Grand Prix where he ended up placing, I think it was second, and then after his the race... one with Red Bull, right? Sorry, you're right, yeah. Um, and then it was after the race that they had, I guess, gone over fuel um, allowances yeah. for the race and he ended up getting... Um, I'm not sure if he was DQ'd or lost fi- a couple... Of, I think he might have been DQ'd. Um, and then, so he was on the podium, but then they ended up taking that away from him. Uh, and then going back a little bit further, the year I was born, 1986, where Nigel Mansell famously lost out to Alain Prost for the championship. He had, a, I think it was a suspension failure halfway through the race. And then they were worried about the other car or somebody else having problems. So they pitted. And then that's how Prost ended up coming first and winning the Drivers' Championship and clinching the constructors as well. So um, plenty of uh, history. Um in uh in the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, that one of course happened at Adelaide, not not here. Uh yeah, and it's a fun circuit. Like I said, three DRS zones for the viewer viewer on television, you'll you'll get to know this track pretty well. A lot of the angles are um very uh, different. The sort of first section of the track dominated by the straight, and then the sort of uh under underbrush sort of wooded area. Um then the back half being around the lake uh into the, the 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 drs zone and then uh around uh as- Ascari and stewart uh, and the Prost turn um it, it's a little bit slower uh, as they run up to the star finish again it's a it's a fun circuit um how are we doing for weather actually actually i'm jumping the gun here a bit because it can get wet here um yeah a, it looks like it's it, a funny one
0: it probably will rain for practice okay um but uh qualifying and the race look pretty low percentage wise like maybe you know eight percent five eight percent um temperatures 17 uh celsius it's only 63 fahrenheit so not too bad on qualifying mm. day slightly warmer um on race day so that'll be good for everybody um winds might be a little windy, uh, 13 miles an hour or 21 kilometers an hour on qualifying day and slightly less uh, for race day. So yeah, overcast, not direct sun uh, hmm. or partially cloudy. So probably uh, probably good, good weather to go racing in.
1: Yeah, maybe similar to Barcelona because it was a little bit chillier and a slight bit windier than they were expecting or than it usually is uh, that time of year.
0: Yeah, uh, we've got the C2, C3 and C4 tire compounds, the middle... Range of the five tire compounds uh, that is the hard, medium, and soft, respectively. Um, everyone looks to be taking similar allocations to tires. So, for, for those uh for whom this is um a, a new concept, you get to decide the cars have tires. Yeah, the, first of all, there are four <laughs> tires in each car. Um, 13 sets each driver gets to take into the weekend that has to last them through practice qualifying and the race um, and you get to decide how many hards mediums and softs uh, you take so uh, that's decided you know weeks ahead of time um, but generally every driver takes a whole bunch of softs a few mediums and then very few hards so, and that's that's kind of the way it's going here one or two hard tires uh, between one and three medium tires and then either nine or ten soft tires and mm. it's, it's only uh the racing point cars actually that are taking eight soft tires uh three mediums and and two hards uh looking at haas uh, i know who have had trouble with tires in the past especially at australia
1: oh my god they're going, Joe, they're going
0: one hard tire two mediums and ten softs so uh i
1: think i think that needs four you can't just put one hard tire on drew i think you need to make, <laughs> has to be a set <laughs> there's sets Um, oh we have fun on this podcast
0: we sure do these are the jokes (laughs) Uh, we don't have any driver standings to go over everyone's at zero which is very exciting Um, and we don't have any uh, (laughs) leaderboard news to go on um, for our fantasy section Uh, although I did want to just uh, point out that my team is set Um, I've got for stappen perez ricardo kvyat magnuson and mercedes you pick five drivers and a and a team um and there are some already fantastic names in the shift f1 official oh yeah uh fantasy league by the way there's always a link in the show notes if you want to join us it is free of course um kevin has a team called signs of the times
1: that's pretty good that's pretty good
0: nick has Winno Winno marlboro dinner <laughs>
1: should be dino surely <laughs> uh
0: jeff has a team called OConnada.
1: okay i get it yeah yeah i get it
0: and uh, sarah has Haas of the rising sun
1: oh that's good um my friend james uh who's uh, recently started listening to the podcast he got in i think through drive to survive as well nice uh, up, he has a team called ver not stappen wow which i thought was pretty good um, although I looked at his team and he has George Russell on it. And so I'm like, no, man, you got to move the money around and get someone else there. It's not going to work.
0: Uh, yeah. Again, you can you can join our official league uh, with the code in the show notes. Should we take it to some emails, Danny?
1: Hey, let's take it to the emails ShiftF1podcast.gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails if you're a cool dude. Uh, Drew, you want to take this one from John in Portland, Oregon?
0: uh yes i can uh or if you're a cool lady um oh sorry of course cool person yeah john from portland oregon says hey shifters long-time listener first-time caller thanks for all you do you're welcome john um question about tires why does pirelli have a lock on providing the compounds i know firestone bowed out prior to pirelli but uh but is that a contract how often is it re- reviewed and renewed Uh, also, what is it about the Haas setup that is causing problems with tires that other teams don't seem to have? Are the races where there were problems? Okay. Uh, are the races where there were problems races where the Haas drivers were out of sync with the rest of the pack? Uh, or is it more of a mechanical problem in keeping the temperature consistent? All right. Uh, so first of all, yes, we used to have multiple before my time, there used to be multiple tire, um, Constructors, I guess. Yeah, two,
1: 2006 was the last time, was when Michelin and Bridgestone were, were bouncing around.
0: Um, and Pirelli has been the sole tire provider since 2011 um, and recently renewed their contract to supply from 2022 to 2023. So a four-year deal. So that's about how long those contracts last. But yeah, that would be signed with, uh, with Formula One. Um, in terms of the Haas question, like what was, what was their deal? Tough to know. <laughs> um, but
1: a million, million dollar question, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, from the way that they talked about it, uh, and the way that other teams have sort of talked about this generation of cars, um, for all the cars, there is a very narrow window that the temperature ne- of the tire needs to be for your car to be, uh, most efficient. And that's because, you know, you want your tire to be, uh, warm and tacky so that the car sticks to the ground um, but not so hot that it degrades and not so cold that it's just a you know effectively a piece of ice Um, so there's a really narrow range and Haas I think out of everyone uh, had the narrowest range and why that was the case was the big um, the big question for them so uh, you could you could sort of see this play out where their car was working as intended during qualifying um, where they could, you know, carefully dial in with their outlaps how uh, hot their tires needed to be. Straight out of but tire then,
2: warmers, mind you. Yeah,
0: yeah, straight out of tire warmers. But then when you're out for, you know, two hours on a racing circuit, you don't have a lot of luxury. Um, and then they subsequently plummeted. So mm.
2: uh, I hope that answers your question.
1: Uh, Rob, you want to take this one from Doug in Tokyo?
2: Sure. Uh, Doug writes, Hey, Danny, Drew, and Rob. Caught some of the discussion last week in the testing episode and wanted to add context for the cost of shipping and why it might be smart to rationalize and reduce the amount of cargo shipped for the F1 traveling circus. A major sponsor and supplier of services for the World Endurance Championship is DHL. They have some graphics and press releases about what goes into moving the WEC around. For 33 cars, they move 120 tons of cargo per race. That does not include the nearly the amount of team motorhomes set up as for Formula 1. For the races outside of Europe, this logistics challenge is massive. When the round set for Brazil in February was cancelled, there were only a few locations considered for an alternate race because of the shipping logistics, hence why the Circuit of the Americas was chosen. Moving cars around is expensive. Doing so by ship is cheapest, with emergency shippings of cars or large cargo containers reaching into six figures. As the wow. GT3 a team found out when their car missed the ship from South Africa to Australia to go from the Kailami 9-hour uh, last November to Bathurst 12-hour this February. Reducing the emissions spewed by container ships is vital. Reducing the necessity of air freight is equally important. So moving the calendar for F1 around would make some sense. Looking forward to another exciting season of speedy race cars in Japanese prefectures. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's really interesting. I do wonder how much... Like, getting a GT3 car from South Africa to Bathurst uh, across a period... Like, when you have those races three months apart, is such a different world than the one that the F-1 calendar has teams operating in. And that's kind of my question is like, what is the top speed of a cargo ship, you know, sailing around, you know, from (laughs) the the, the South Pacific? Uh, That is going to be one of the major hurdles for this, especially because car development is happening in that period. Um, But I'm, I'm with you in the sense that anything you can do to reduce the amount of air freight seems pretty critical uh from the standpoint of emissions and it seems like there's probably a lot of efficiencies that the f1 calendar is just leaving on the table right and at some point that Mm -hmm. needs to be rationalized that gets tougher to do when your calendar is also kind of this hodgepodge of things that were added not really cohesively right like the F1 calendar is a product of a lot of compromises and negotiations over the years, uh, but it does seem like, you know, not that the Ramco deal doesn't make us question F1's <laughs> commitment to uh, lowering emissions, but it does seem like there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here that they could be uh, reaching for.
0: There's a uh, an article on Formula1.com that was just uh, posted recently. It's an interview with the Haas race team operations manager, a guy named Jeff Simmons, who is basically responsible for packing everything and shipping it to different locations.
2: Personally. <laughs> just put In a car route. into a big Pelican case. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> bubble wrap.
0: He says that uh, it's 34 tons per team um, that need to go to each location by air and eight by sea um, and eight or that eight tons is stuff that that doesn't change right so that's like the garage the you know the TV screen for the pit wall and stuff like that um, and uh, he says if you were to do everything by sea formula one would need a 63 week year
1: <laughs> make it happen
0: yeah so my uh, my modest proposal for this, what do you guys think
1: go for it no bad ideas in brainstorming
2: airships okay huh
0: huh like like hindenburg
2: yes you know it what is such a gilded age-ass <laughs> sport that the idea of the yeah. teams ferrying their cars via dirigible uh <laughs> has a certain appeal especially because you can just drone fly those things and yeah. so like that point fuck it load it with hydrogen
1: Wait, why don't they, now that you think about it, why don't they just have, like, tethered balloons uh, where you can watch the race from? You know?
2: I, mean, I, think, that's, like the, I think that's the Goodyear blimp you're describing. Uh, that's no, too high. <laughs> he wants, no, he wants, like, he wants barrage balloons strewn around the racetrack <laughs> yes, where drunk yes. assholes can, like, watch the race from and inevitably fall out of the, yeah. out of said balloon
1: it's going to make the you know national anthem flybys real challenging um but but it uh, would prevent
2: strafing runs uh (laughs) from from the red baron
1: (laughs) (laughs) which is really important uh Uh, To the circus. Um, Thanks so much to everyone who sent in emails. We had a lot of emails about this, about the logistics. I think it's really grabbed people's imagination. Um, We also got a lot of emails from people uh, who had listened to The Primer, who are new to the podcast, uh, saying thank you for that. So thank you for for your messages and thanks for listening. Um. yes welcome welcome to this ridiculous circus uh but i wanted to pick this one out from gracie which was uh who, who p- pitched this idea as a new more carbon aware calendar to the season using i guess the idea of like different kits of cars as a as the method through which you could sort of divvy up the amount of stuff that needed to get shipped hmm. um so i'm gonna let gracie take it uh they say, okay, so it's not perfect by any means, but when focusing on the different kits of cars that have to travel, this is more efficient than the current setup. The final race calendar would be, so follow me here, Australia, Sochi, Canada, sorry, Hungary, Canada, Singapore, Silverstone, Aus- Austria, the US, Italy, Azerbaijan, Vietnam, Monaco, Netherlands, Mexico, France, China, Belgium, Brazil, Bahrain, all the bees together, Spain, Japan, and finishing in Abu Dhabi as we do. So the logistics behind this being where the races are divided up into these five kits. So this is where the kits would be. You'd have Australia, Singapore, Vietnam, China, and Japan together, Brazil, Mexico, US, and Canada, the UK, Netherlands, and Belgium, then Spain, France, Monaco, Italy, Austria, Hungary, and then Russian, Azerbaijan, Bahrain, and Abu Dhabi together. Again, by no means perfect, and it really only works if the parts don't need to be transported back to their headquarters after each race, and if they abandon the idea of fancy motorhomes, they can't just cart around. But it's definitely more efficient than the current system. So there you go. Five kits. Keep them all together. Um, and then you can sort of like bounce around in between the races. What do we think of that?
0: I mean, yeah, I you love it. Get that If you could get that going with every one of those different circuits. <laughs> so why do we need Bernie back? Just strong arm everyone.
1: I like the idea of there just being a bunch of cars lying around at circuits waiting for people to turn up. Maybe well, you could rent them out or something.
2: I love the idea of Bernie being the one to sort out like this This damn carbon inefficient calendar. Like you wouldn't deviate the entire circus wildly off course to change a nickel somebody dropped. Like <laughs> yeah. that. Like that's how we got here. Bernie. Bernie's not
1: long for this world. He doesn't... He's, he's tapping out in the next, you know, decade at least. He's... He's not. He's not too worried. I'm no, sure.
0: No, I, I think he'll he'll be like Castro. We'll just go forever. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to email us about your <laughs> your uh, your carbon neutral plans, you can hit, hit us up at uh, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f onecool slash emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I'm Andrew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? It's time to race around the world oh yeah oh man racing has begun again there are so many uh <laughs> different events on this calendar now the world rally championship is in mexico uh the supercars are supporting formula one this weekend uh which will be mm. fun the gander mountain trucks are at atlanta motor speedway uh, along with uh the xfinity series is um, that atlanta
1: georgia or the lost city of atlanta
0: it's the one under underwater yeah Uh, the IndyCar season also starts this weekend uh, at the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg at the Albert Witted Airport Uh, St. Petersburg, Florida oh okay slightly warmer (laughs) Uh, the NHRA they're round three they're already underway they're at Gainesville for the Amelie Motor Oil Gator Nationals
1: excuse me Amelie like the the French house movie movie?
0: Yes, uh, she's Great. got an alligator. Very Courtney. <laughs> Uh We got car. Oh my. That's right. We're already around five. Uh, also in Atlanta for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. Folds? Folds.
2: What? Like, like Ben Folds. <laughs> All right, actually, I need Is- to Google this now. Is, is Ben Fold
1: sponsoring this race, or there this was this piano the, uh,
2: Folded American flags in the in the back of uh, a Gander S- Mountain truck? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what I figured.
1: What was it? It's it's uh, for oil, military it's families. Over. Oh, okay. Right. Ah, okay. there you go. What uh, other
0: Formula One? Also this not. weekend. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Thursday, March twelfth uh, at nine p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN News (laughs) is practice one, uh, followed by practice two the following day at 1 a.m. Oh, see, this is good.
2: These are the good depression hours. Uh, This is when F1 is at its most real.
1: I've just realized that Daylight Savings is going to make this even harder, isn't it?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, Practice three is Friday, March 13th at 11 a.m. on ESPN News, followed by qualifying... Saturday at 2 a.m. on ESPN2.
1: P3 was 11 p.m.
0: You said a.m.? Yes.
1: it's making sure. They're not having a 12-hour gap between the two.
0: (laughs) There must be a typo here.
1: (laughs) God, I hope so. Could you imagine? We're going to practice and then, I don't know, just go for a nap. Have a siesta.
0: It must be 11 p.m. has to yes. be right. It's 11 p.m. is practice three, and then uh, qualifying is uh, 2 a.m. Gosh, on ESPN two, uh, and then we've got the race Sunday, March fifteenth at 1:05 mm. a.m. on ESPN.
1: Four o five. Future Danny will you cover. It up? Oh God,
2: <laughs> Danny Rick, yeah. Just
1: Demolished. Wasted
2: that car on. Him.
1: God, I've never that is that the fastest retirement like except for like a non-starter, that must be the fastest crash.
2: Yeah, I except mean, that, for like, like
1: going into the back of someone who hasn't who hasn't pulled away.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that was so bad. Yeah. Speaking of records, actually, um, Kimi only needs ten Grand Prix starts to beat Rubens Barrichello.
1: As what most laid-back driver. <laughs>
0: Uh, and Hamilton can beat Schumacher's 91 wins.
1: Right, yeah. Um, and, and he can also, because Schumacher didn't have, Schumacher had six, didn't he? Yeah, he had seven. seven. He had seven, yeah, okay. So can, can tie
0: that championship yeah. Wow. Uh, speaking of Rubens Barrichello, he, Giancarlo Fisichella, and Jack Aitken from Formula 2 uh, will also be driving in a, uh, a support series called the Super 5000
1: that's Which a really p- stupid name.
0: Appear to be uh, cars that are in between Formula Three and Formula Two in terms of horsepower. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, look out for that. They could have call.
1: It, they couldn't call it like the old geezer Cup or something.
0: No, it's like it's like Australia's indie Car. Okay. They've already got their own NASCAR and supercars.
1: And rugby, or, or and football, weird Gaelic football version they have. Drop bears, all the classic sports. Drop bears. <laughs> I'm sorry, we went the entire podcast. Well, I guess you started the podcast with lots of, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you call that. I was about to call it xenophobia, but it's not really <laughs> that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not scared. Look, I'm Drew was just overcome with the Ansex spirit. <laughs> Look, it's I like watched whole, Chopper like recently, Spirit. and I can't
0: get that accent out of my head.
1: You called out call a podcast? <laughs> All
0: right, let's get out of here. Uh, okay, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, boy, I am excited for this season. Um, I can't wait to see uh if what we think is going to happen happens on track, like the first race of the season, and it was awesome to see how people... Slot into quali- qualifying is gonna be the real test, right? Yeah. This is gonna be uh really, really interesting. Is Mercedes gonna use the DAS system? Who knows how that is gonna shake out? Uh yeah, what what are you looking forward to, Danny? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's Red Bull, you know, just really seeing how close they are to Mercedes, whether or not we're going to be in for a fight this year or not. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where Ferrari shake out. But honestly, it's that mid pack, man. I can't, I can't wait to see where everyone ends up in that shuffle. Like, there's a lot of eyes on, on, on Racing Point. Um, there's a question mark over where AlphaTauri are. It'll just be fun to look at Haas. Like, oh, there's, there's, there's not a team on it that you're not like, Oh. Even Williams, you're like, come on, guys, yeah. just do do better,
0: you know? The Haas pit stops, man. Can be watching very closely. <laughs> Rob?
2: Yeah, I'm, I want to see uh, Haas's lap, lap over lap pace uh, across, like, full racing stints, because I am really curious if they solved their tire issue at all. Uh, I think Racing Point is going to be surprising, uh, I think. Mm. And I think it's going to be surprising on a couple fronts. I think they're going to be faster than people think, and I think one of the top three is going to be slower than people are expecting. Right, yeah. Could be, could be. Well. Oh,
1: it's exciting! It's the best part of the year. It's like all the potential before crushing reality dawns on us in a couple of days. <laughs> th- Anything is possible.
2: I am curious. Like, do you think <laughs> if this season starts out poorly for Ferrari, uh, do you think Benato is around to shepherd the team into the new era?
1: All right, here I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'm gonna put on my tinfoil hat and answer that question to you. If Ferrari tanks this year, do they use the coronavirus as an excuse to not go to races?
2: Wow, okay, huh?
1: I, I see your conspiracy and I raise you
2: wrong. Wow, that's dark. But it would it could be a way to save your career. right? Huh? We shall see. <laughs> well,
0: uh, that's it for us. Have a good race weekend everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Mm-hmm.